scripture that can be found in the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The word of the Lord. Well, I have an important um, revelation to share with you about uh, our family, myself. Uh, we haven't been entirely honest with you about our identity. Uh, we are actually in the witness protection program. It's true, we're from Long Island. Uh, we are known as the Fuscos, okay? So I am Phil Fusco. Uh, this is Vivian Fusco, and then my kids, Ralphie, Joey, and Madge are my kids. So uh, we're, from, uh, we're from Long Island. I used to be a hitman for the mob, and I testified. I snitched on them, so they decided they had to move me. They had to give me a new persona, if you will. So what could they figure out that's so different from a hitman than a mild-mannered pastor in Virginia Beach? So theology degree, I don't got none, okay? I've been masquerading. Uh, I'm actually Phil Fusco. So uh, now you know it. Now you know my identity. You know, we all have an identity, don't we? We all came from somewhere. We all have a name. We all have a history. We all maybe have work and friends and the way that we communicate who we are. This is my identity. This is me. But what if someone came along to you and said, I'm going to give you a new identity, a new future, a new way of living, a new pretty much everything, if you follow me. What would you do? Would you do it? That's the question that we're going to talk about today because we have a person, Levi, the tax collector, and Jesus comes to him and in the midst of his world says, I want to give you a new identity. I want to give you a new destiny, a new hope, a new way of living. But to do so, you're going to have to leave the identity that you have right now. Oh, sure, you'll have the same name. You'll have the same history. But the trajectory of your life will radically differ. In many ways, we're all Levi when it comes to Christianity. Christ comes to all of us and says, I want to give you a new identity. The question is, will we follow? Well, how does Jesus seek to transform our identity, to give us this plea, this command. I think we need to look at three things in this passage to understand that. The first is, who does Jesus save? Who does Jesus offer this identity change to? The second is, how does Jesus save? In other words, who is who is the person, but how does he transform identity? How does Jesus save? And then finally, of course, how we respond. What identity we choose as Jesus lays this in front of us. Well, let's look at this first part, who Jesus saves. Verse 27, it says, after this, he went out. 
Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now after this is after the two healings that we've seen Jesus has done. Remember the leper? Uh, he healed the leper and then he's, then he's preaching the word and they lower the paralytic through the roof. And Jesus heals them, heals him. And then after this, he's walking along. Now it's interesting to look at those two miracles and then to look at Jesus' interaction with Levi. Those two miracles were dealing with people who had physical ailments, leprosy and paralysis. Levi had more of a social problem. The two, the leper and the paralytic, they were seeking Jesus. Levi was not. The two, the paralytic and the leper, did not choose the path that they were living in. They didn't want to be paralyzed. They didn't want to have leprosy. The path was chose for them. But Levi is a little bit different. Levi is exactly where he is because of the decisions that he has made. He has sought his path. And so he's not looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for him. Notice it says he saw a tax collector named Levi. This word saw in the Greek is observed. He watched him. He, he saw, he looked into his face. And he saw this tax collector. Levi, he's obviously Jewish, as he's in this booth collecting taxes. Now we know something about tax collectors, right? But tax collectors back then are a little bit different than tax collectors in our country. <laughs> easy, big fella, easy. Inciting a riot in a church. You see, the tax system was put in place by the conquerors of the Jews. You know, it's the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And so the Romans enlisted Jews to collect the taxes because they knew the lay of the land. They knew the people. They knew what they were making. They understood. And so to be a tax collector was essentially to turn your back on your people, to get in line in lieu with the Romans and Herod Antipas, and basically uh, be a Benedict Arnold be a trader. And in fact, you would even make money not only for collecting taxes for the Romans, but also skimming off the top. So let's just say that uh, Levi is not a popular man. And we discover that Levi is by the Sea of Capernaum. And so most likely, Levi was one who was collecting taxes from the fishermen. The fishermen would come with their profits, they'd sell the fish, and lo and behold, there was Levi to collect the money. Okay, Levi was not the sort of guy that was allowed in the synagogue. He wasn't a loyal guy. He was rather cutthroat, actually. He had to deal with fishermen, who I'm sure were ticked off at losing their hard-earned money, so he was a tough guy. In fact, he's not even a famous guy. Remember Zacchaeus? At least he was the chief tax collector. This guy's just one of the gears in the system. If we really look at Levi, do you know who he is? He's a thug. Levi is a thug. He's the worst of the worst. But Jesus comes along and he's sending a message. I'm looking for the worst of the worst. Levi's not observing Jesus, but Jesus is observing him. And Levi, Jesus says to Levi, come, follow me. Why does Levi respond to this unbelievable request? You imagine someone coming up to you 
come follow me. We need to understand what come follow me means. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Levi knows he's a sinner, right? No one has to tell Levi who he is. He's a traitor to others. He's a traitor to himself. He's a Jewish person meant to come and live the law. He knows the law, but he's thrown it away. He's a predator. He knows it. But somewhere in Levi's heart, there's dissatisfaction. Maybe at one time when he was younger, he tried religion and tried living a good life, but it didn't work out. And so he decided to try irreligion. Let me go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And yet there's some sort of dissatisfaction in his heart. Levi essentially was a resigned man. He was stuck. This is my life. This is my identity. This is who I have chosen. And then Jesus comes along. See, in a way, Levi was waiting for a call. He just didn't think it would ever come. And Jesus comes along. Now the Pharisees are ticked. Notice verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? This word grumbled in the Greek, egongzizon, is sort of a, what does it say when the word is the same as the meaning? Egongzizon. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're angry. Why does your, why do you eat and drink? Hey, why do you fellowship? To eat and drink, to go in their house, to accept them, to come alongside them, eat with tax collectors and sinners. Okay, this is the worst of the worst, and you're hanging out with them, Jesus. You're breaking all the rules. This is the way it works. They have to get it together first. They have to fix their life, leave the things that they're doing, unthugify themselves, and then they're ready. You've got the wrong order, Jesus. But Jesus said, no, no, no. What happens when they can't get it together? What happens when they've gone so far that there's not turning back? Jesus apparently is searching for people that can't get it all together. These are called the sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician, Jesus says, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. As I've looked at life, I've realized that there are only two types of people in the world. They're screwed up sinners and those who know that they're screwed up sinners. Which are you? One of my favorite stories, well, I mean, the big difference is that Levi knew he was screwed up and the Pharisees didn't. One of my heroes is a guy named Jim Rayburn. Jim was the founder of Young Life, kind of a bit of a maverick, Texas guy. He realized the kids weren't coming to church, and so if he was going to engage with them, he was going to have to go meet them where they were at. They weren't interested on what Jesus had, uh, on what uh, uh, Rayburn had to say, and so he realized that he needed to earn the right to be heard. So one of the things Rayburn did was he put together these beautiful camps to bring kids to. And we're not talking like the cabin and the tether ball and the like nasty, you know, kind of youth camp. No, he went big, all out, the best of the best. And so he brought some pastors along to show them this camp. 
And lo and behold, they're walking along and they see some kids smoking at a smoking pit. The pastors are horrified. This is a Christian camp. How can you have these kids smoking at the smoking pit? And Jesus just turned to them and with his Texas drawl said, ain't it great to see sinners acting like sinners? Sinners act like sinners, duh. It's the sick that need a physician. Levi knew he was sick. There just wasn't anyone to cure him. And so there are two types of people, screwed up sinners and those who know they're screwed up. Which are you? You may have it all together. You've got the look, you've got the title, you've got the family, you've got the position. You have no need of Jesus. Life is going well. In fact, you wouldn't hear him because if Jesus called you to come follow him, you'd be so busy with your life that you wouldn't heed the call. But you see, Jesus comes to people that know that they're sinners, that are dissatisfied, that are stuck, that desire to live differently, but they just don't know how. So recognize your sin. The gospel, the key to it is having an honest opinion of yourself. Don't minimize your sin. Don't hide it under a rug. Don't justify it. Own it. Because when you own it, then you're going to look for a savior. And you, all you have to do is own it. And guess what? The savior will come looking for you. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we can live like a sinner who has been saved. This brings me to my second point, how he saves. So we see the type of person he saves. Well, how does he accomplish this? Notice Jesus comes up to Levi and says two simple words. It's not a very big monologue, is it? Follow me. He enters into Levi's world. I love that. He invades Levi's space. He makes Levi feel uncomfortable. See, Jesus is the God who enters. He's not the God who holds back. This actually, what we're seeing, is a divine appointment before the beginning of time set that God has with Levi. Psalm 139, 14 puts it this way. In the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is a set meeting in which Jesus meets Levi and he enters and then he speaks. Our God is a communicating God. We don't have to wonder what he says. We don't have to seek the stars in the sky or the conditions or the environment to try to discern what this great God is saying. No, he speaks. And he speaks directly to Levi, and his message is clear. And Levi turns and hears the voice of the one who made him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus enters, he speaks, and he commands. Follow me is in the imperative tense. 
He's not giving an invitation. He's giving a summons. Follow me. Now we hear words like that and we don't truly understand their import because we don't know the culture. But follow me was a statement that a rabbi would make to a potential disciple. The rabbi, the teachers of the law, they would have different folks that they would teach. That was their job. And the best of the best of the best of the best, finally, as they whittled down the group, he would turn to them and say, follow me. And that person knew what it meant. It literally meant that my life is over as I know it because my life is now attached to this person. Where he goes, what he says, what he wants me to do, that is what I am saying yes to when I choose to follow him. See, that's why Levi knew, and he left everything to follow him. Follow me. It's not a program. It's not a philosophy. It's Jesus. Christianity is a man. Christianity, frankly, is quite easy. Follow me. It doesn't make it simple. What qualifications must I have? None. Aside from knowing that you're a sinner, it doesn't matter if you're the President of the United States or you're a thug. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese or American, if you're old or young, if you're smart or not so smart. Come and follow me. Christianity is a man. And so Levi looks at his old life and he realized there are consequences to this decision. Because when you choose to follow someone, you have to disfollow someone else. We're all following somebody. I need to put my total trust not in the things that I've built, the little kingdom and foundation. I have to put my total trust in this person. I, where are we going, Jesus? Don't worry about that. Just follow me. Are you kidding me? Yeah, follow me. So along with this decision, these consequences, comes a new hope. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you a new security. I'll give you a new destiny. Trade everything, and you get me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything. Can you see the crowd? They're as astonished that Jesus says to him to follow him as when he puts down his pen and guts up out of his booth and leaves everything. He rose and he followed him. Jesus entered Levi's world and Levi entered Jesus' world. We have two dogs that we take for walks, if you would call them walks. Some of you have met Sadie, who's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. I don't know if you've ever seen the kings when they have a little dog on their lap. That's Sadie. She was bred to love. That's her only job. She doesn't know how to hunt. She doesn't know how to do anything aside from love. And then there's Pepper, short for Dr. Pepper. Pepper is a Boykin Spaniel. He was bred to retrieve. He was bred to go see the duck and go get it. He was bred to sniff. 
He was bred to be inquisitive. He is a high-energy dog. And so when we take these dogs for a walk, it's very interesting because Pepper is straining at the leash, constantly sniffing around, moving, wants to go ahead and see everything. If we released Pepper, Pepper would go off. But when I take Sadie for a walk, it's very interesting. See, I'll be walking with Sadie, and I won't feel any tension on the leash. And so I'll go, oh my gosh, I've lost Sadie. And I look around, and Sadie is as close to me as possible. I don't even look down because I'm like I'm looking here, and I don't see Sadie. But when I look down and I see Sadie, Sadie is very interesting. Sadie is not looking around. Sadie is looking up. All Sadie is content to do is walk alongside me and look up because Sadie knows that I know the way and Sadie knows that as long as she's with me, everything's going to be okay. See, that's what Jesus is saying. It's simple, but it's not easy. The command that Jesus gives to Levi is the same he gives to us. We serve a resurrected Savior, you know. He's not dead, he's risen. And so my question for you this morning is this. Have you answered the call? Jesus has called you. Maybe he's calling you right now. Follow me. Have you got up and decided to leave everything? Does that mean that I'm supposed to sell all my possessions, give to the poor, and move and be a missionary? No. But it doesn't mean you're not supposed to. Jesus doesn't tell us the future. He simply says, follow me. Have you answered the call? If you do, he'll give you a new identity, a new security, a new hope. If you've already answered this call, be like Sadie. Don't look back. Don't look around in the wrong way. Simply look up. When you're scared, look to him. When you're lost, look to him. Jesus would not say follow you and run so far ahead of you that you cannot see him. He meant follow me right here. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so if you have answered the call, live like a sinner who has been saved. This brings me to my final point, how we respond. I love this, verse 29, and Levi made a great feast, excuse me, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. He makes this great banquet, this great feast, and he invites all of his friends. Now, what are the kind of friends that a tax collector has? It's the only guys he knows. They're tax collectors, right? They're the bottom of the barrel. Levi seems to have no problem connecting them with Jesus. In fact, if you translate this term great feast into, uh, into Greek, we don't have a good word to translate, but probably the best word would be reception. He's throwing a reception in Jesus' honor. We know the word reception. What does it mean? It means to receive. Come and meet this one. That's why he's throwing the party. Not simply to celebrate. He wants those that he cares about to come and meet the one he's chosen to follow. See, Levi felt the joy of being called. 
and he wanted to share it with others. He was so proud of this Savior who would save such a person as he that he wanted to display him, put him on display for his friends to see because that was the best way he could love them, to show them this new one. Why a feast? It's a time of celebration. It's a time of comfort. It's a time of safety. It's the best environment for these guys to come. He said, meet me at the synagogue. I want to tell you about Jesus. How many people do you think would have shown up? No, meet me at my house. I'm going to throw a feast. And I want to show you this one named Jesus Christ. Was he ashamed of his friends? No. Was he ashamed who he was? No. Because he realized, if Jesus accepts me, the thug, the bottom of the barrel, he can accept anyone. He was proud of Jesus, and he was proud of his decision. And so his desire was to come to his friends and say, I have followed Jesus, and I want you to as well. Why did they come, you think? Was it the food? Maybe. Was it because it was Levi was their friend? I think it was his change. That he would give up all of that for this person. What would cause someone to do that? A religious person to boot. They had to see for themselves. When Levi's position and purpose changed, he really only had two objectives. I want to know him, and I want to make him known. And so this banquet was all about Jesus. How do we respond if we've answered the call? Do we realize who we were? Do we realize who we are? 2 Corinthians 5.14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Have you felt the joy of Levi? Have you looked up into the face of your master? Or are you continuing to have a foot in both worlds? If you felt the joy of Levi, live in it. It's okay to be the worst person in the world. Cheer up. You're far worse than you think you are. In fact, until you realize that, you cannot see the joy of what it means that the Savior would serve you. You know what this place is, Redeemer Presbyterian? It's a reception. It's a feast. Come, friends. I want to tell you about this person named Jesus. It's a place where we put Christ on display. We do our darndest that if you invite someone here that you will never be embarrassed by what we do. That's why I talk about my wife, Vivian. We want to meet people where they're at. But don't worry about where they're at. Oh, this guy, he'd never come to church, no way. Oh, yeah? Levi came to Christ. What's so special about him? Don't even worry about convincing them about Jesus. It's Jesus' voice that speaks in his gospel and says, come, follow me. That's all it took. 
Don't worry about where they're at. Don't worry about convincing them. The greatest privilege and joy that we have is to know him and to make him known. So catch his love. Spread it. Celebrate it in your home, when you meet with one another, and when you're here on Sunday. Since Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me, the best way we can honor him in our choice is to live like a sinner who has been saved. By God's grace, we will. Let's pray. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Lord, we are sick. Lord, we in so many ways are like Levi. We're a traitor to others, we're a traitor to you, and we're a traitor to ourselves. Lord, but you meet us where I'm at because your righteousness is strong enough to overcome our sinfulness. Your love is strong enough to overcome our hate. And your life is, is enough to overcome our death. Lord, I pray that we would leave behind all that's holding on to us, Lord. And that we would embrace the call to follow you. And Lord, I pray that this church would be a church where you are on display. And we can't help but say, come. I want you to see this one who's changed my life. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Christ's name.